Hello, quarantine friends. I wish we could be like in person hugging each other friends. Do you know that I just purchased um, uh, some soda water from uh, a local mini mart near me and the cashier touched my hand as he was giving me my change back and I was like, oh my God, human touch. That's not Greg. Listen, I wasn't, I didn't have a crush on the cashier. That's not what I'm saying. Don't go down there, that rabbit hole with your head. But like, oh, that was just weird to touch a stranger on accident. Like I felt ashamed. I was in a bit of a shame spiral, but additionally, like I was electrified. <sighs> it's getting crazy guys, but I don't know. I, I guess there's an end in sight. Um, how you doing? Yeah. Also, sorry. Welcome back to the episode of Be Here for a While. Uh, today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Best Fiends, super fun to play, Sports Research, did my waist trainer workout with Sports Research and Sweet Sweat today, I'll tell you about it, and Daily Harvest, trying to stay healthy with some food delivery that is good for you. I'll tell you more about those later, give you some discount codes, and um, yeah, so yeah, how are you guys doing? I, I wish you could respond. Um, it's weird to ask that question to no one, but or to all of you with no response, but Feel free. Again, always you can DM me how you're doing, how you're feeling, what's getting you through. Um, yeah, I mean, what's been getting me through, I feel, is uh, I've developed like a heavy passion for potato chips um, and various types of sour cream based dips. Um, it's really something I've been harnessing with my free time and uh, I've gotten really good at eating them and I'm pretty, pretty proud of it. Uh, besides that, yeah, just working on that other project that I'm excited to tell you guys about. Oh my God, Greg created the coolest freaking music for it too. I, I'm on the edge of my seat excited and it's probably annoying that I keep teasing it and it just hasn't come out yet. But as it turns out, doing a podcast that is research-based, it's basically like writing a 20-page essay for each episode. Um, so it's, it's taken some time and we're, we're, I mean, like I said, Greg's putting some cool music into it and we have all these like sound sound bites from various interviews and things like it's going to be cool. But um, yeah, but you're going to love today's episode too. Uh, and as always, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. This is honestly, besides the potato chips, uh, you guys and my podcast uh, and the, the people that showed up for my virtual comedy show are definitely what are, what is keeping me through. Like you guys are, you know, just the greatest support system and I hope that I can be that for you so thank you so much so much for listening and uh for just being the coolest and if you get a chance uh please leave a five-star rating and positive review it just it really helps to keep things going in this crazy time and same I I actually had a few people message me when I said if there's anything you need me to review or whatever for you feel free to message me I'm happy to do it so yeah all right so you guys are gonna love my guest today it's a Originally, I was kind of like, is this going to be depressing for people? Because if you just think about the name of her podcast, it's like, oh, that, that, that seems depressing. But that is not the aim of what Julia Bainbridge is doing. So Julia Bainbridge has a podcast called The Lonely Hour. And it is um, actually turning what we would consider like a bad thing, loneliness, on its head. Like, what are the merits to loneliness? And it's there couldn't be a better time for her podcast right now. So Julia Bainbridge, she is a um, she's an editor who's worked at Conde Nast Traveler, Bon Appetit, Yahoo Food, Atlanta Magazine, and a James Beard Award nominated writer whose stories have been published in Food and Wine, Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and Playboy, among others. She she basically spent an entire career writing about how people gather. So 
restaurants and and gathering and then way before even the coronavirus hit she she started thinking about it's like years before um what is the opposite of when people gather it is loneliness it is it is being alone it is um the internet you know time right now where i mean people so many people work from home and they just connect with people online and uh the need to just keep striving and striving for success as opposed to connecting with people. So she just takes a deep dive into her podcast and we're going to talk a ton about that, which is really cool. We're going to talk about her career in, um, I mean, I'm super jealous of her career as a food writer and being able to go to restaurants all the time. That's another passion of mine. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, dating during quarantine. She actually met someone and has a new boyfriend during quarantine. And this this is not the first story I've heard of this, which I think is just amazing. And she gives uh, her tips on single life, dating, you know, even sex during quarantine, which is, uh, I guess, involves a lot of FaceTiming. And all I could think when I was like, oh, that's ramping up where people are like doing a lot of FaceTime sex with maybe strangers. I was like, now are we going to have an influx of like strangers releasing your sex tapes I don't know I don't mean to scare you but it freaked me out or I was like listen I'm obviously not doing that because I got Greg here but uh yeah like are they screenshotting what you're sending this is this is risky but then again what do you have to lose in the name of love so anyways I talk a ton about that and uh yeah so without further ado give it up for Julia Bainbridge well, thank you, Julia, so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. You kind of have my dream job. Mm, which is writing so, about food? <laughs> yes, because I imagine, I don't, I have no idea how that would work, but my, my, uh, how I envision this wonderful life that you have is that <laughs> you get to dine in all the best restaurants. They probably hook you up with extra fun, good off-menu items I involve I imagine there's some travel involved I don't know maybe you tell me about it because <laughs> there is I mean I think expert. like it's it's true um and it's a it's a wonderful joy and um but you know I think to maintain my journalistic integrity I can't really take freebies so um I do mm-hmm. have to make sure that I'm like paying for my meals I'll I'll take a like little extra dish every here and there but um I think it's a little different than people might imagine I'm not just like running around the world and dining for free all the time yeah that makes sense the integrity because like yeah if they give you something special then you're more inclined to like write a good review even if you didn't think it was the best exactly and I'm not even a critic so I'm not reviewing restaurants head-on but I do think it has a way of kind of affecting your overall feeling in a way that might yes compromise you so there is you know there doesn't kind of need to be a separation of church and state there Yeah. So how did you get into this line of work and what does it entail? So, oh, it's such a good question. I mean, if we go all the way back, like if we think about college, like I was studying journalism and anthropology both. And so really like my interest in food wasn't in the beginning just food for food's sake, although like I love... Um, I grew up traveling a lot and I was never like a beige food kid, you know, sort of like open, open palate, open mind. Um, I, I really saw food as a way to experience culture. Right. And then in school studying anthropology, that was absolutely, you know, just 
enforced, right? Or, or that, that idea just um, kept going on with looking at people through how they cook. Like it has a lot to do mm-hmm. with identity, right? Um, through what people yes. eat, through what even they don't eat, right? Through what's taboo um, and through how they cook. And so I co- sort of caught the bug that way and decided that I was going to go to culinary school after college, not with the idea to ever be a chef. I didn't want that life, but um, I would sort of get familiar with technique and terminology and have a leg up when I ultimately wanted to go write about it. Little did I know at the time, many people who go on to write about food, you know, either worked in restaurants or went to culinary school, but um, uh-huh. that it all kind of came together, believe it or not. Like I sort of the anthropology stuff, the the journalism background, and then formalizing my knowledge with some, with a culinary degree, I moved to New York without a job and got one at Food and Wine Magazine, and, and that was the start of it all, and just kind of hustled. And then, so... And that, and that has become your main focus uh, because you've written in so many different publications and you're an editor. Um, is your, Are you mostly food centric or did you then branch off into other aspects of journalism? Mostly food centric, um, although I have a lot of other interests and you're catching me at a funny time when I'm kind of in a transition. I mean, the other part of what I imagine we'll talk about today is the loneliness stuff. And it's funny that like after a yes. career of looking at how people gather and over what they gather, mm-hmm. I'm sort of looking at how they don't, <laughs> you know? Um, Which I think in a weird way makes you kind of an expert on it. Does that make sense? Because you've done a study in gather way more than most people. So it makes you prepared to study the exact opposite because you can, you've, you've been to both. I guess I would say study is the right word. I mean, I, I sort of cringe over the word expert because I'm not, I'm not a cognitive neuroscientist, you know, like I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist. (laughs) And, but I think there's different ways to be, I mean, there's obviously an expert where you have the formal education, uh, a medical degree, uh, you know, you've studied it, but then I think you can become maybe an expert in the emotional side of it, for example. Okay, I love a good like cell phone game, like any type of like distraction that I can just take a few minutes out of the day to be like, let's think about something other than just hard work all the time. And Best Fiends has become my new favorite pastime when I just want to like check out and chill and kind of keep my brain active though. So if you're looking for a fun way to pass the time while engaging your brain and enjoying breathtaking visuals and a gripping story, your answer is Best Fiends. First of all, the puzzles are really fun and they're challenging but not over the top challenging and the little characters are super cute. Best Fiends is a casual game anyone can play, but it's made for adults. You can spend as much or little time as you'd like on the game. Um, I'm basically like I usually play it when I need a break during the day or if in the middle of the night I'm not I can't sleep that well. I find that Best Fiends is a good way to engage my brain, kind of lull me back to sleep and not be looking at like news headlines or social media. It's just kind of, I don't know, a fun way to just pass the time. And every every level is a unique, exciting puzzle experience, unlike any other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players, which is super cool. So you, you'll find yourself playing at random weird places, weird times. And the cool thing is you don't need Wi-Fi to access it. So you don't need internet. You can just play on uh, cell phone data. And you just it's just cool. You collect all these fun characters and they got these diamond things and all these, you know, puzzles with all the greenery. It's just really cool and really fun. And I think it's 
a good time for us right now to just have something that we enjoy on the side that's not stress and news headlines and work. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. I miss restaurants so much. Like that's where I did my work because it's just so much more inspiring and lively to kind of be in that atmosphere than in your home where you're normally used to, you know, like I can't, I don't know. Like I don't understand people who can like work from their bed or something. I'm like, that's where I sleep. And once I'm sitting there, I'm sleeping. Like so much I had to like type on my computer, <laughs> I would fall asleep. But um, yeah, I miss the restaurant industry so much. But Okay. So yeah, you were saying I'm, like, I'm you worried love- about it. I'm worried about what it's yeah. going to look like. And not only from um, them getting the support they need, but also just from the diner perspective. Like if we're going to f- mm-hmm. even like, what are we going to feel like when we get out of this? Are we going to want to go to s- gather in public spaces? Like there's so much we don't know. I guess it's just that trite yeah. saying of one day at a time. And we'll just kind of keep yeah. making as informed decisions as we can, as we get more information. Right. I, I I feel like uh, obviously not immediately um, I think and I think that there's going to be some people that are very fearful and I think there's some people that are currently ignoring all the rules so they're it's you know right when things open up they're going to flood into places mm. um, but I think that it is all going to come back and I think it is going to come back better I, I don't know I just have that feeling I might seem naive but in a weird way at least personally it it almost is like this whole like you know I mean all of us have maybe maybe not you but most people I know have lost some form of income or advertisers or things and um it is almost like made me want to work harder because it's just like that adversity you're just kind of like and so I I hope that to the best of everyone's ability it's able able to recover yeah me too yeah yeah so when it comes to okay so you were saying like you love um food people people who like to eat I totally agree I don't trust people that don't like to eat it confuses me um (laughs) I wish I could say I've been doing all sorts of cooking projects like it sounds like you have um during this time I feel like I have been quite busy and kind of focusing on the loneliness side of my work so I do feel like mm -hmm. a bad food person like I have not been making sourdough (laughs) I have not been breaking out my slow cooker (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've not been doing the projects that it seems like a lot of my um, sort of fellow food writers have been doing. So I'm, I feel a little yeah. sheepish about that. But um, have yeah. you like gotten into anything? Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yes, I'm getting a little tired of it now. But I was going to ask you, and this is a kind of a vain question, um, but I think it... I think a lot of women will wonder because a lot of people will message me. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not thin technically, but I, I'm not overweight for what it appears like how much it appears that I eat or love food mm-hmm. um was that ever a fear of yours that like well getting into this business I'm gonna have to be eating and because a lot of women would be you know they don't really like to eat very much and they like to really be like I can't have fat and things and I can't have gluten or I can't have whatever was that a fear of yours at all going into this industry that you you know wouldn't be able to maintain a weight that you wanted or No, I feel so lucky in that sense. Like I am just someone and I'm not, you know, I don't have little bird bones and I'm super skinny either, but I am just not someone who carries body issues. And it really wasn't until college Mm -hmm. that I realized how unusual that was 
Um, I guess in, I guess high school too. I mean, I did go to an all girls school, but a lot of us were athletes. Um, and so it was important to be strong and powerful. And, um, Mm -hmm. I, I saw a little bit, I mean, I, I did know some girls who took diet pills or whatnot, but, um, it wasn't really until college that I realized how much so many women struggle. And I feel so lucky that for whatever reason, I don't have that chip and that it has nothing to do with actually how I look, <laughs> you know, it has, yeah. it has to do with, I don't know the, the house in which I grew up, you know, I'm the youngest of four and they're all boys. I don't know if that has something to do with it. I don't know if it has something Maybe. to do with, I just have parents who aren't so focused on appearances. Like mm-hmm. I didn't even really know until later in life that women dyed their hair to, cover up grays like that was not a thing in my household um and so so no um I I didn't really have that and I and I feel so so, what a fluke you know but I feel very lucky for it yeah no that makes a lot of sense to me I mean uh despite the fact that once uh I would finally like looked at a magazine and realized I was um really overweighted as a kid I (laughs) And then I like kind of had a little phase where I, I like dieted like a weirdo. But but in general, I have the same thing. Like I didn't even know that I was like 60 pounds overweight as a kid because my parents, my mom would always tell me how beautiful I was. So I was like, I am so beautiful. You have no idea. Like Aww, I just didn't. So nice. I just didn't. I didn't know. And I just kind of like, yeah, besides like a small period where I re- thought I needed to focus on it. Yeah, I just don't. But probably I did to lose weight. But I have, yeah, I don't have that body image. Like I can easily be like, well, I've gained weight. So what? <laughs> like, yeah, I'll lose I it or I won't. Or body dysmorphia the other way. Like, I certainly grew up with Vogue in the house, right? So I, I, I mm-hmm. saw, you know, what was being represented in fashion magazines. But I, I always had a relationship to them where I was just inspired by the fashion, and I felt like I could wear that. <laughs> I yeah, I, I guess yeah. like, you know, it's been a bit later in life when I when I do hear people describe my figure as being describe me as being thick or describe me as curvy. I'm like, oh, OK, I guess some people see me a way that I don't necessarily see myself. But perhaps because those weren't born in me at a, such a young age, you know, I just mm-hmm. don't they, they bounce off me in a way that yeah. I, I see that they don't with some others of my friends who I who I really feel for their struggle. Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with the way you were raised. Like I would, totally. if I ever am blessed enough to have kids, I, I will take a page out of my parents' book and not, not talk about my own weight in front of them and not even, and, and instead of it, like, if I do see my kid maybe being unhealthy or gaining weight, just encourage them to get into a sport. Don't shame them for, you know, like, I just feel like it has a lot to do with the way your parents had issues around that type of thing, I think. Yeah, it trickles down. I I definitely think you're right about that. And any of the girls in high school who I saw carry those issues, they were, they had received them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's um, switch into the Lonely Hour podcast, which I think is really cool. I've listened to several episodes um, (laughs) and I'm just curious as to how, how did you come up with this concept and explain, explain what it is and for my listeners. So this answer is going to get lengthy and it's going to get weird. Are you ready for that? (laughs) No, I'm the weirder, the better, please. Okay. I mean, I guess in general, for your listeners who don't know it, the lonely hour is, is a podcast about loneliness, but it's not a bummer is sort of the cocktail party version of, of how I describe it. I mean, it also explores 
all corners of aloneness, really loneliness, solitude, um, solitude, which has kind of a positive bent, but I put lonely in the title because I think that's the thing around which there's this taboo and I kind of wanted to destigmatize that. But the reason why I got into it, I mean, it, some things had been knocking around in my brain for a while, right? Like looking at, at modern life, you know, urbanization, uh, declining birth rate, high divorce rates, like the replacement of the traditional multi-generational family with a nuclear family. Um, some historians will say that loneliness really didn't exist before the 19th century, at least not in a chronic form. And before then, daily living involved this intricate web of interdependence. Um, so I, mm -hmm. I was just like looking at those changes and then looking at my own life and the lives of those around me, like more and more people joining this new economy of freelancers and gig workers, right? Like you and I both work from home. We don't go mm -hmm. in and interact with people in an office um we we like belong to very little right like union and mm -hmm. church and club memberships have declined more and more people are living alone than ever before in human history we don't have many strong social supports in this country like the internet can't be our only social safety net <laughs> so mm -hmm. I guess I was I was looking at all that and that's that's not exactly how I approached the show but um the further I think about all this, I see how many things are actually connected to loneliness that aren't head on about loneliness, right? Like how we idealize individualism and independence. And honestly, mm -hmm. honestly, like because capitalism, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, these are the drivers of large scale loneliness and exceptionalism too. Like in this country with its focus on improvement and forward motion, like many of us have this impression that we need to be extraordinary and we work, work, work to prove our worth to others and to ourselves and we're never really satisfied. And that's mm -hmm. agony and it often leads to mental unwellness. But like, what if mediocrity wasn't a dirty word? What would it look like if we valued a simple quiet life more highly? I think we'd be happier. And you know, this is all seemingly so unrelated, but I do think the agony people can feel over their mediocrity is a kind of loneliness, like not feeling worthy, not feeling seen for worthiness, et cetera. So mm -hmm. again, you know, I could, I could go on about that, but you know, so I do, yes, worry about some of the changes in the way we're living, but my approach mm -hmm. to the show has been to help listeners understand how normal loneliness is. Like mm -hmm. I decided loneliness wasn't really something I wanted to put in the problem box. Like, we're reluctant to talk about loneliness because we're part of a problem-solving oriented culture and we feel that loneliness can't be fixed, but really it's central to the human experience. So mm -hmm. my approach has been to talk openly about loneliness, kind of cataloging people's experiences with it in, in a mm -hmm. narrative-driven format in hopes of destigmatizing it. And maybe that will soften the blow of the feeling, which is mm -hmm. an inevitable one, you know, or at least... Yeah make people feel less alone. Like could, could feeling lonely be a communal thing, right? Like that's what it is in that everyone feels it at times. So could I represent this truth uh, through storytelling? Could I put this thing, this big thing into small approachable packages like in each episode? And, and could there even be joy and humor in the mix as is true to life? Um, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Well, that, you said, that was a lot, you said so many. No, no, you said so many things I want, I have questions about. No, it was, it was brilliantly said. So, okay, loneliness is only like a fairly new problem. So you said, what was it, a 19th century? And some people will say that. And then, then you have um, some scientists who talk about loneliness as being this kind of developing from when we were hunter-gatherers, right? Um, but mm -hmm. loneliness as, as, as the concept as we're talking about it now, yes. <clears throat> That's what some and historians it, and, will and say. And it's the gist of it, that is because... Um, the family unit isn't quite as important 
important and people are also simultaneously wanting more and more and more striving for more capitalism all that stuff that they're maybe having a hard time connecting to like the simple pleasures of family and relationship and stuff because they're too busy trying to or striving to be extraordinary did I maybe yes yeah I would say that are we this this exceptionalism this um this sort of worth and work right Mm -hmm. this we've built a society that's centered around achievement and money and Mm -hmm. you know when I look at the work of Vivek Murthy, who's the former U.S. Surgeon General, who's now turning towards loneliness as his work. You know, he's mm-hmm. he says he's like the question I wonder more and more these days is how do we rebuild a society that's centered around people? You know, that recognizes uh, that our connection with other people is the greatest resource we have. Okay, so that that actually answers one of my questions because I was going to say, are are you saying that we need <clears throat> to adapt to? Um, the loneliness that, uh, I mean, if not changed, is fairly inevitable with the internet generation and the people needed to be extraordinary. Are you saying that we need to adapt to that and be proud of our loneliness or be comfortable in it? Or do you think maybe what he's saying um, is that we, uh, we need to find our way back to people? Like he would you say that, yes, one. and I think that there are other people when I look at like the work of Alain de Botton, who's another um, philosopher, you know, he argues for communes <laughs> mm-hmm. and like yeah. communal living and that this, this uh. interdependence is what makes us feel connected when we are in it with other people, right? So, I, I mean, I'm only like going actual- into that because I'm doing a, a series about uh, like cult leaders or bl- religious leaders and I literally just <laughs> finished recording something on Warren Jeffs and I couldn't hate uh, <laughs> communes well, right. and people so like that So communes, of course, for us bring up all kinds of associations. Yeah. But I guess we could say like communal living, right? But look, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that there are two different things here going on. What What he's, you know, worried about is chronic loneliness and this loneliness epidemic. And I'm not arguing that that's not an issue um, and that a lot of these societal shifts and my kind of worry over those societal shifts aren't part of the impetus for my starting this show. But the thing I am exploring on the show is your kind of everyday average human loneliness. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. that's different. That's loneliness is part of the mixed bag of feelings we all feel. Um, And there are many different types of loneliness. You can feel lonely when alone, but you can also be alone and not lonely at all. You can feel really lonely in a relationship. It has to do with Mm -hmm. perception. Oh, yes. But again, Mm -hmm. it's something we we all feel. That's, That's the thing I'm trying to get people more comfortable with because there is this taboo around it. But the larger issues, kind of really taking stock and looking at how we're living and is this ultimately the healthiest for us as human beings who are wired to be interdependent and social? Yeah, I think those Mm -hmm. things need examination. And sometimes... And then I'll stop, I swear. I I, uh, no. I wonder if I shouldn't do the show differently. I wonder if I shouldn't look at chronic loneliness and some of the things that need solving. But I do think that is for the quote-unquote experts who study it in a way that's, mm-hmm. that as a storyteller and just sort of uh, an interested person, I maybe I'm not capable of. I'm doing yeah. something a little different. But again, these are I'm, I'm sort of awash in all these thoughts, I guess. Guys. I am not kidding. I am seeing real results with sports research, sweet sweat, and waist trimmer. I've told you guys about it before, but I've really been ramping up my at-home workouts during quarantine, and I'm every single time I'm wearing my sweet sweat. I'll explain what that is later. 
and the waist trimmer. And I literally, my stomach looks different because that's what I'm really targeting with it. So let me tell you a little bit about Sweet Sweat. So you already know sports research um, from their award-winning collagen peptides, which can strengthen your nails, make your hair shinier, thicker, you know, improve your skin. At least I had those results. But their product, Sweet Sweat, it, I don't know, it's, it's changed my workout routine. So many of you are already making exercise a priority. And Sweet Sweat helps take your workout to the next level by targeting slow-to-respond areas. So for me, that is like my stomach. And so Sweet Sweat may help increase sweating during exercise, giving you your best workout yet. So it takes energy to sweat, more energy than most people might think. In all energy-consuming processes, sweating helps burn calories. And it might sound intimidating, but sweet sweat is really simple. You simply apply the gel to a slow-to-respond area, like I said, my stomach, um, before your workout and proceed as normal. It smells really good. It kind of makes you glisten, look a little sexy. Um, And for me, you know, you don't have to get the waist trimmer, but that's what I'm finding is just leaning my stomach out and kind of just making the sweet sweat work even harder. So yeah, it's best in combination with their best-selling waist trimmers. Um, and I, I don't know, I really, I, I can't stress enough the results I'm seeing and how thrilled I am with it. So join the thousands of people who are achieving their fitness goals with sweet sweat and meet your motivation today. After all, it's not just a workout unless you break a good sweat. And if you go to sportsresearch.com and use the code BEHERE at checkout right now, you'll get 20% off your order. That's 20% off site-wide at sportsresearch.com with code BEHERE at checkout. Sports Research, your one-stop shop for a lifetime of performance, health, and wellness. Well, there are many studies about it. I mean, I went to therapy once and they, they were telling me about um, that loneliness can be as um, as detrimental to your health as smoking for this but it can take this much time off of your life because it, mm-hmm. it just affects your health and I'm like oh Jesus okay <laughs> Do yeah you, I mean that's a stat from yeah there's Juliet Holt Julianne Holt Lundstadt and John Cacioppo mm-hmm. these are people who are really studying loneliness in that way and I think are responsible I can't remember which one I think it was Julianne who's responsible for that often cited uh that it's what like smoking 15 cigarettes or something I mean yeah mm-hmm. like the the science says yes that chronic loneliness does affect your health right like mm-hmm. Um, neuroscientists identify loneliness as a state of hypervigilance, right? And that produces anxiety and stress. Like we breathe fast, our heart races, our blood pressure rises, we don't sleep. And when stress persists, it can increase inflammation. It can damage tissues and blood vessels and actually increase your risk of heart disease and other chronic illnesses. Plus, Mm -hmm. We act defensive and self-involved when we're, you know, like we, we basically drive people away when we're most in need of them. It's, it's a really this cycle. Um, Uh so, uh, and I, I don't think again, with the kind of loneliness I'm looking at, with the kind of loneliness I know we all feel, Uh I don't think we should try to eliminate it because it, it has, it has merits actually, but I'm, I am concerned about this chronic kind of loneliness and yeah. and I, I do think the way we live now lends itself to an increase in this chronic loneliness and there's yeah, there's there's a good argument for um I guess I won't call them communes, but but uh yeah. thinking about how to live differently. <laughs> yeah. Now, when well, a medical professional might deem that loneliness has become chronic, I'm not sure. So, you know, I don't know if that could develop within a few months' time. I don't know if we're gonna be seeing Certainly this, what we're experiencing right now is going to Mm -hmm. 
there will be echoes of mental health issues. You know, oh, there's going to be a long tail in terms of the chronic loneliness thing. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, that's where you'd have to ask Dr. Murthy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I want to get into like this time and the loneliness thing right now too. And the fact that you met someone during this time, but um, you said something mm. really interesting um, that uh, people tend to push people away when they need them the most. And one of the questions so kind of similar to that, what that I'd written down was, um, do you think that some people view loneliness or being alone? They would never call it loneliness. Um, their ability to be alone as like a badge of honor and, uh, and that they're like, oh yeah, I'm totally fine being alone. I've, I've said that type of thing so many times. I've even said that to my boyfriend during some arguments during this, uh, uh, quarantine where I'm like, listen, I don't even need some quarantine. Like I'm totally fine being alone. Like, do you, um, so do you think that some people view it as a badge of honor? Like I'm so strong. I'm so capable of being with myself, um, that they're perhaps lying to themselves and it can be like you said like they push people away when they need it the most well I think that's part of the cultural value placement on independence right Mm -hmm. um and I was thinking especially for women now that sorry that just occurred to me like it's very uh popular as a woman to not be like I don't need a man I'm good being alone like that has really been pervasive in our culture for a while which I think is great but yeah, I, think sure also, I think it also, I think it all, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes I also think that being really proud of being alone can also be a coping mechanism. For sure. For sure. I think all those things are true. And it's hard to like, I'm wary of just like categorical statements, right? Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if I think of, all right. I, with, so we have to distinguish between aloneness and loneliness, right? So aloneness yes. is a state, and that is, um, it's there's no argument about whether or not someone is alone, right? This is mm-hmm. this is, um, what's the word? Am I? It's it's objective. Like isolation is an ob- objective mm-hmm. measure of how many people we have around us, right? Um, mm-hmm. Loneliness is a feeling, a feeling that we don't have enough social connection in our life, um, and so if we're talking about accepting loneliness as a badge of honor, I don't know if I think about it as a badge of honor, but I do think finding a way to accept loneliness as part of the human condition will help you manage it. Um, And I do think when it comes to aloneness, reaching a point where you can be at home with yourself is yes. Like I think that's a goal, right? Mm -hmm. Because that will happen in life inevitably. Um, So again, we're hardwired to be social. I'm not saying that we should isolate when we don't have to, but acceptance is a powerful thing. And it's interesting about women... Again, I think these all have to do with sort of culture, but I, I, I do think, um, well, generally when we're single, we're better at maintaining our social networks. Um, mm-hmm. Like I know in Rebecca Traister's book, uh, All the Single Ladies, she says she saw more people every day when she was single than she does as a married person. And that has, you know, it's just because there's only so much time in the day, right? But like, so if you're devoting time to a relationship, you just have less time to devote to other things. So, um, but this is apparently especially true for women. Like studies show that when women live alone, they invest in their hobbies and maintain friendships and they're building connections with other people more effectively than men do. Oh, that's, that's cool. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Did I answer your question? <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. I don't yeah. know. I, I think, um, I, I understand think, I think... why people would, um, why you did that with your boyfriend. Because again, yeah. I, you know, I think that we value like independence and there's pride yeah. in that. 
but um, yeah and I think it's very we can, okay like, let those to... walls come down a little and just realize that we are we are you know we're best when we are interdependent as we're meant to be yeah yeah but yeah and I think I think you're right I, I guess maybe I think that a lot of people maybe when they're saying stuff like that it's that uh, like I'm not gonna fall apart if I'm alone I'll be just fine but yeah what you, are you happier with around other people of course <laughs> and I, I imagine that many people are feeling that during this time so tell me how you've been approaching your podcast during this isolation I think I listened to I think it was after quarantine it might have been a very recent one of yours actually where you're walking around the streets you're actually recording uh, when you're yeah that uh, was which funny. I thought was really interesting no I thought that was really because I also you because you live in New York right Yes. I've also been kind of dying to know what it feels like to be in that city during this time. Like while LA is a big city, it's very spread out, obviously. And so it's, you're not constantly passing people and, you know, so I thought that was interesting. But how are you approaching your podcast? I feel so disconnected from the rest of New York. I mean, normally when this is definitely a city where we live life on the streets and we're always Mm -hmm. bumping into one another, that's part of the magic of it. And I have like, I feel so disconnected in my one neighborhood in Brooklyn. I have, you know, friends on the Upper East Side and I just feel like I don't know what their lives are looking like right now. And normally Mm -hmm. I'm just zipping all over the place. Right. So it's strange. I will say I live right by the the BQE and for like 20 minute periods of time, I'll forget all of this is happening. And then an ambulance goes by. Um, And it's definitely, it's definitely stressful. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess the way I've been dealing with kind of life right now is just putting my head down and one day at a time and just like we all are, right? Like I'm trying to stay Mm -hmm. informed, but also um, not over consume news and uh, just sort of do what I can to, to, yeah, to not spiral. Um, (laughs) But what are your your thoughts on, yeah, your podcast and like loneliness during this time, because it's, you can't, you started your podcast way before this happened, but it just seems like this is kind of the podcast everyone needs right now. Right. I mean, I even started the podcast a year before Vivek Murthy used the word epidemic. I started it two years before the Cigna report came out about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so, um, and, 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 and I don't know, it's strange. I hadn't really made anything by the first week or two. Um, but I feel so lucky that I have listeners who are really devoted and they were like, knock, knock, where are you? You know, like mm-hmm. we need you right now. And I really wanted to serve them um, and soothe them. But I was, I was trying to figure out like what I could do that they needed that also was true to the DNA of the show. Because again, as I said, it's not a show that is about chronic loneliness. It is not it is not a show that necessarily aims to combat loneliness. Um, but mm-hmm. what we're facing right now is, is definitely people have a need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so are you wanting to normalize loneliness in the way of like, Hey, you're, you're not alone in your loneliness. Like everyone absolutely. feels this way. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the whole point, you know? And I feel like that way, you know, each episode, one guest owns, owns an episode um and that's Mm -hmm. kind of your story and it's not even always so head-on about loneliness but it's about some journey of of being alone and um and we're on that journey with you I mean I do a two-hour interview and like hack it up into 20 minutes and I build an arc it really is a narrative driven show it's not an interview style show but I Mm -hmm. and so I I was just trying to figure out like what I could do that's correct and what I ultimately decided is I would kind of break from format and my first episode that would kick off a series really would be 
kind of built like a magazine where there are different features and I would interview people, you know, starting with a psychologist who specializes in anxiety and um, really, you know, I had a friend come on who has a book podcast who recommended some books. I um, just talked to various experts and try to deliver some real information that people can use, um, that listeners mm-hmm. could use to like help them during this time. And then the rest yeah. of the episodes are truer to the DNA of the show in that they are they are diaries, they are stories of individuals. Um, and mm-hmm. in this particular time, it's in times of isolation. So it's yeah. funny too like I felt I also didn't feel I went to people I know um to be the guests on these five diary episodes because I really don't feel comfortable asking people I don't know to give of their time right now um mm-hmm. I also would love to be representing you know as a journalist I would love to be representing like a truly wide uh array of of people and stories you know I would love to represent a chef and someone in the restaurant industry I would love um to know what it's like for someone below the poverty line living below the poverty Mm -hmm. line right now right but I just cannot ask those people to give of their time right now right they're in such distress so Mm -hmm. you know all the people who um could help them to talk about it though honestly it could it could um yeah but I just the way I did it is I I went to people who um have the privilege of being at home and safe and have the time to do these diaries um and and I just asked them to start recording tape and um they recorded a lot and and certain themes would come up when I'm really busy i barely have time to think about what to eat and I definitely am not getting all the fruits and vegetables that I should have when I'm just rushing and working and you know I'll go until 3 p.m and be like I didn't eat anything today let alone anything healthy but daily harvest makes it easy for me to have clean food every day without even trying they keep my house stocked with delicious food built on whole fruits and vegetables. They have a wonderful way of sneaking them into everything and making them taste like heaven. So Daily Harvest delivers delicious, clean food right to your door. And we we couldn't need that more right now. It takes just a few minutes to prepare, and I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. Everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to enjoy it. You don't even have to overthink any of your meals for the week. They have delicious options for any time of day, smoothies, soups, harvest bowls, they're so yummy, flatbreads, and more. Daily Harvest never uses preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients. They work directly with farms, and they freeze organic fruits and vegetables at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. I personally love their cauliflower pesto bowl. I threw a little egg on top. It was delicious. Daily Harvest is also committed to minimizing their environmental impact. They're in the process of transitioning to 100% compostable, recyclable packaging and over 50% of the way already. They're, They're on their way there. So, Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code B here to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code B here for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com, promo code B here for $25 off. Let's stay healthy together. Well, you have an interesting story from isolation. So I want to ask you before we go into your story of how you met someone. Um, <laughs> and I know you don't like to uh, maybe. Uh, sound like an expert or give advice, but I am just curious since you have met someone during this time, do you have any advice for my listeners on, uh, sex and single life during, uh, isolation? What, what is your, and dating, like how is, 
Oh, I mean, now is the time to experiment. I mean, what do we have to lose right now, honestly? Yeah. You know, like, I just feel like... Also, I think that, like, people... The internet is looking kinder right now. People are kinder mm-hmm. right now. Like, there's a lot of compassion going on. I just think that now's a time to get a little vulnerable and maybe experiment with something you haven't before. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, look, how, like everyone's horny as hell as well. You know, so I yeah. Also, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm someone with very little shame about sex and mm-hmm. and sort of my needs and wants. But um, so it's hard to just like encourage someone to try phone sex or FaceTime sex or something if you if you have um, uh, if you're more demure. But uh, again, I would say, you know, now's the time to to experiment. So we don't have touch. Right. Like. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, like that that's something I think about. It's it's hard. Like there's no stand-in for face-to-face interaction and like touch is a human need. Like not only mm-hmm. is that one of the ways in which we receive confirmation of someone's positive feeling for us, but also even with platonic relationships like touch and being close triggers part of the brain and releases oxytocin and hugging reduces uh, levels of stress hormones and ultimately helps us fight infection even like how odd that the thing that normally keeps us fit is the thing that could hurt us right now you know like mm-hmm. we're biologically programmed to need touch and we can't have that so yeah single people interested in dating are having to adapt right like there's there's a rising interest in video dating so much so that um, apps like I think hinge and match.com and others are rolling out new in-app video calling features so mm-hmm. I kind of wonder like this is less advice and more just my pontificating, but like, what will we learn in this time? What, what might we improve upon about the way we date and what doors mm-hmm. might we open now? Well, I've like been there thinking was... a lot of guys have been having to maybe court girls, girls longer and, and have long conversations because they Absolutely. can't just meet up at a bar. So I think that that's a good benefit. I, yeah. I think we're maybe, we might be laying the foundation for like truer connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, even I, yeah, I'm God, I was I'm just thinking about how like casual I've been with my body in the past and the way in which I've looked at touch before, even looked at sex. I mean, I think I've even used the terms like service me or getting serviced when I'm like thinking God. about sex as part of like as far I haven't said that to someone, really but just like when I'm the, like I've been giggling about it to a friend, just thinking That's about so sex funny. as like as like maintenance and health upkeep. And it's like I don't think I'll view it that way uh, right now. Yeah. (laughs) So how did you meet someone during this time? How did that go down? So, okay. How do I even tell this story? It's hard to when I'm in the middle of it. And it's sort of, yeah. So, okay. This person um, I have not met, which makes me feel crazy to say out loud. Um, like I'm a 37 year old grown woman, <laughs> but I don't, um, but I don't think that I don't think you're alone in that. I know a lot of people that have started dating people during this. Yeah. That, that comforts me to hear. And I, and I also have been hearing the same thing once I myself get vulnerable enough to, to share this. So this is a big thing I'm doing on your show today is talking about it publicly, which <laughs> big reveal. Like, yeah. Big no. Um, all right. This person, we followed each other on Instagram. We are in related industries. Um, we have mutual friends. So there was a lot of reasons to like feel connected already. So we have not actually met in person, but like we know what each other are working with. (laughs) We find each other attractive. And, um, he used to live not in New York and was on his way to moving in New York. He'd made a certain amount of success in his city and kind of wanted to 
come to to this place to to step up his game. Yes, he is in the restaurant world. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, in between his time there and moving here, he had saved up enough money to go to Europe and um, do some dining, like dine at Noma, dine at some of the iconic places just for his own education, right, as a, as a cook and food lover. Um, and all this broke out then. So finally, he got back to the States. He's been um, in at his father's house. And we've, you know, we had been direct messaging on Instagram a little bit, but for whatever reason, I guess because we both had the time and because this was happening, all of that communication just increased and it's been so natural I mean I I tend to sort of have a few plates spinning in this arena at all times and um (laughs) and I have now like even told the other men with whom I was flirting that I have developed feelings for someone and I have to cut off the like sexy dms I mean I'm it's so strange I am like devoted to this person it is cool and we just I mean I have to say like I kind of I kind of had accepted that I might not have partnership and had found a way to be okay with that. I still want it, but I think Mm -hmm. I had decided, okay, like you're 37, you've had a rich, you know, dating history and sex life. You've had loves in your life and it doesn't seem to be happening for you, but you've got all this other stuff. You have like wonderful friendships and who knows what might happen, but let's at least like wrap our head around the idea that, that like maybe this is just what it is and Mm -hmm. fine. Um, and this thing just kind of arrived. Um, it has been so natural and so there is, and maybe this is part of why some people are building deeper connections in this time when there's kind of no room for games. I don't know. We've all been, we're kind of down to the bone right now, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think, um, we've just been able to get to know each other intensely also in a way that we wouldn't have if we weren't in this bubble right like I would be working he would be working like we've had this time to talk morning noon and night and hear different tones in each other's voices and all these things that just would not happen in any other universe so this Mm -hmm. has accelerated so quickly in a way it only could have um now and I have to say you know one hearing you say you've heard that happen for other people is comforting but it has it has I don't know it has these tentacles of sort of like beauty and connection because I sort of sheepishly told my best friend about this right like mm-hmm. I mean I think I'm falling for this man you know and uh-huh and I told her this and I was embarrassed about it and she said you know hey like non-pandemic dating life like overly curated overly conscious profiles algorithms swiping not to mention like going places alone with strangers that's far more strange than anything you've described with this man I was actually thinking that when you were talking about people like like you know FaceTime sex or whatever I was like as much as that seems very vulnerable that's actually more safe than like a one night stand or hooking up with someone after first or second date. You don't know that person really like to be alone in a room with them. Like it's actually frankly a little safer. Totally. Yeah. No, I, 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 as you, as I said before, I definitely cringe over how casual I've been with my body in the past, but like, yeah, we go to great lengths for the chance at real connection. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had called it crazy when I described it to her, probably that was a defense mechanism in the same way that you say people say like I'm fine with being alone right I was like well Mm -hmm. this is crazy and um she said I think it would be crazy 
like to discount what you found. Like it's nice yeah. to see when things just happen in an unexpected and disarming way. And I this, ha- you know, another friend brought up the concept of joy foreboding, which um, Brene Brown writes about in The Power of mm-hmm. Vulnerability. The idea is that submitting to joy is like a radically dangerous act because of the overwhelming fear that nothing good lasts, right? So we like rehearse yeah. for tragedy and disappointment to desensitize ourselves to the inevitability of pain. And I feel like I'm going to cry even telling you this, but like, you know, she said she oh. she could feel the tension between my desire to experience joy and share it with her and the, the kind of protective calculation of my joy foreboding. And somewhere in the mix, perhaps I didn't want to risk looking foolish in the future, right? Or having to walk mm-hmm. back the intensity of my feelings should this thing with him not work out in the quote unquote real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did the most generous thing. She said, you know, the love of friendship as I offer it means Mm -hmm. that candid and complete feeling is welcomed and celebrated and I will not measure you against the things you said and shared at your most vulnerable you are safe with me to be fully in your joy oh my Um, god I absolutely love that I know and I I just think this yeah this all has brought out I don't want to you know I'm a real I think the reason I'm reluctant to talk about it is sure a little bit of the like fear of it not working out or maybe like the, the some kind of embarrassment but also because I'm aware that a lot of people we're all going through something together. We're all in the same storm, mm-hmm. but we are in different boats. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are just in massive distress right now. And here I am falling mm-hmm. in love. And I think there's a little guilt over it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think sort of, you need to feel guilty for that. Well, um, <laughs> thanks for that. But I guess like it has brought out beautiful people would pure... want you to be happy. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I just, I just think... But and it, I think there's no shame in the embarrassment of the, or, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, go ahead, please. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think that there's any reason to um, feel embarrassed if it doesn't work, work out. I was actually just talking to my friend, Sheena, about this other day on my podcast, and um, she's been, she's Vanderpump 34. Sheena, she's been di- I know. Yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> she's at 34, she's been divorced. That's so funny. <laughs> and she, um, you know, she gets made fun of for like, having so many guys she dates and thinking that this guy's going to be the one and whatever. And I was like, Sheena, and she was actually saying that she's not embarrassed about it. I was like, yeah, you shouldn't be. I was like, I used to kind of get embarrassed about that, but now it's almost comical. I don't know how many boyfriends I've brought home for Christmas. My niece and nephew who are like 12 and 14 right now, they must be so confused. Like, so wait, which one is Aunt Rachel's husband? Like, cause it's like, (laughs) I keep thinking that like, I keep thinking this guy's going to be the one and then it doesn't work out. And it's almost like, well, who the hell cares if it doesn't work out? Like it would, it would suck if the the relationship I'm in now, we've only been dating for like close to a year. It would, that would suck, but I have been through far worse with date. And also I've endured many breakups. Like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you should be embarrassed to try something new or date someone because you're, and to talk about it with your friends and be vulnerable about it because in the off chance that it doesn't work out, then you have to be like, oh yeah, that one didn't work out. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means it didn't work out. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I just think it's heightened because like we haven't actually been with each other in person and it's all Mm -hmm. happened so fast because of the situation we're in, right? So it just feels a little, ooh, feels feels like a lot. But look, yeah, I mean, I guess when I think like, how can I trust this? How can I know? There isn't a way, like all I can do, all you can do is live through it. And sure, maybe Mm -hmm. I can make choices about how I want to minimize the risk or explore the risk, but maybe falling in love is always like this. Maybe it always feels a little unsafe. Um, 
Well, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's, I think being in love is unsafe the entire time too, but it's in a weird way what you, you know, so I was also having a conversation with my boyfriend the other day because I'm three years older than him. I'm 34. He's 31. And I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. And, and as, as much as he says that he is in terms of like, it's just, I just think it's an age difference thing. Um, and I believe him that he is, but at the same time, I'm trusting that if I stay with him for, let's say three years and then it doesn't work out and he, you know, is like not ready for kids or something or that that's very scary to be like, well, I just put myself on a later timeline. Like, you know, I think being in love is also scary and taking that risk that, you know, you hope it works out and you hope it doesn't screw up the plans you had in your head. Yeah. It's all we can do. Also, I got to say, I'm, I think Sheena, like talking about freezing her eggs and bringing all these issues to the fore on the show this season is pretty baller. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed oh, I, with Sheena. I love it. I'm like so irritated that people make fun of her. I'm like, why would you make fun of someone for one of the most vulnerable parts about their life? Like that's scary and sad that she's having a hard time with it. Like, why are you making fun of her that she talks about it too much? Like, that's just mean, frankly. And she's just being honest about what she wants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, I have taken so much of your time. I'm so sorry. I thought so it was going to be like 30, but it's been so much fun. And I'm so happy for you that you met someone. And I think <laughs> you should you. be really excited about it. And yeah. I am. It, it really, it does feel like drug level good. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Well, tell everyone where they can find your podcast and your social media and, you know, anything you're writing right now. Oh, yes. Well, I'm writing about the Corona boyfriend. <laughs> so I do also write about all, all feelings. Um, but uh, yeah, the lonely is where you can find you. Can, I'm pretty much on any podcatcher you use, but the lonely will be like your central place to find all the links and whatnot. And um, Instagram for that is at lonely podcast or my personal is at Julia Bainbridge. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff going on there. Loneliness, connectivity, food, drinking, and some dancing. I love it. Well, thank you. Now, well, now I got to follow you and watch the dancing. Well, thank you so, so much for doing this. It was really good talking to you. And if you ever need um, a guest on your podcast, I'm happy to share a story. Lovely. Okay, good. Thank you. 